You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. We're here for the finale of the spring 2019 preview. We're going to be talking about the new coaches, what's happening, who's moving over from what, who is new to the team, uh, their background and whatnot, kind of going over that a little bit. We'll also talk about special teams. Graham Harrell, he had a press conference on Monday this week. Uh, He talked to the media. We'll talk about that, and then we'll answer your questions. We've got some questions, Shotgun. People wanted to know and hear from us, so we'll answer those. Thanks, everyone, for sending those in. And as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audioboom. You can also email us questions and submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. So, Shotgun, we got to hear finally from the man of the spring, if you will, Graham Harrell. I thought it was pretty interesting that USC kind of uh, decided to make a designated time for Graham. I personally appreciated it because I just felt like that Tuesday of the first spring practice was going to be madness. Everyone, that media scrum around Graham Harrell was going to be nuts. So I'm kind of glad that they took the initiative to, you know, sit him down in a more relaxed format and have him kind of talk to the media. What were your takeaways from that whole thing? It's about time. That's the first takeaway. I mean, he's the first coordinator that they are first coach new hire that they've uh, made available. I mean, you called him the man of the spring. He's kind of the secondary man of the spring since uh, I, unless you want to call Cliff Kingsbury the man of the winter. I don't I don't know exactly where the delineation there goes. I would there. say winter. Okay. A so, dark period in USC's time. <laughs> the winter is coming. Yeah. Uh so Graham Harrell comes in. Obviously, you know, getting an opportunity to speak to the media, I think it is good in, in that regard that you know, he gets a chance to sit down with the media. It was a full twenty five minutes talk rather than you know, it's going to be a 10-minute scrum around him, and it's going to be questions being thrown from all over the place. A lot of TV people will be there on that first Tuesday, I'm sure, uh, to see the new offense coordinator. I think he explained kind of his philosophy pretty pretty well. I mean, he, he said that it's the air raid offense, but it's it's more of a style of play necessarily than you know a, a system. Um, you know, they want to go. There's going to be tempo. There's going to be you know kind of attacking. Uh, attacking mismatches and you know what he said he learned from uh, from Mike Leach and, and different things. You know, I, I thought he came well. He won the presser pretty pretty good in that one, talking about his philosophies and the fact that you know what he wants to do with this offense and you know the identity he wants to give this offense and using the word identity and the fact that USC has struggled to find that word. You know, it's, for those at home, I'm nodding very hard right now. <laughs> don't hurt your neck over there. Uh, no, it's it's kind of like uh, you know, this is like Lord of the Rings. USC's been searching for this ring, and everyone's been searching for it around the program. One person's had it, and he wasn't in the program. That's Graham Harrell. He's bringing this identity in. Uh, you know, he's he's coming in and going to take over the offense and make it his own. And from everything that we've heard. He's going to be given the freedom to do that, and I, I think that coming away from the press conference, it makes it sound you know exactly like what we've heard. He, he's going to be in control of that. He's looking forward to seeing all the different players, you know, uh, kind of opening things up. You know, like we said, anytime the new coordinator comes in, every position is open. He said the quarterback position is open. He's going to you know give them everything, you know, try to see what they can do, and then kind of step back and, and you know see what kind of fits them best. So you, know, I, I thought he did. 
fine in the press conference. You know, he explained everything pretty well, and and I think that you know you ha- you had to come away positive, thinking positively of that interaction. Uh, you know, his first opportunity to speak to the media. I love that coming out of the gates. He said identity <laughs> and not in a balance is an identity type of way, but a, a real <laughs> offensive identity. And he also said putting USC's players in an opportunity to succeed. That was something that we talked about a lot. You know, putting the players, USC has the talent. They have the drive. He talked about that himself. You just have to have a scheme. You have to have a, a, a offensive scheme that will put these players in a place to succeed, put those one-on-one matchups that we know USC can win. And so see, seeing him and hearing him say that right off the, the bat was really encouraging if you're a USC fan. Um, I thought he was really personable. I think he fits in really well with the Clay Helton culture. I thought it was just a, a good thing for USC to to do to put him out there you know maybe this would have been something worth a press conference not sure but the fact that they gave him a special type of media uh introduction i thought was a good idea yeah i, I thought it was good and, and like you said you know talking about getting players in space giving usc's playmakers an opportunity to make those plays not necessarily just the jump balls and the 50 50 balls on the outside like you've seen you know in the past but you know, giving the guys that can make guys miss, I think, is is kind of the things you know. Reading between the lines is, is what it sounded like he's going to do. And he he talked about that. There's no secret formula to this offense. Now the air raid is you know kind of a is a philosophy more than a system. You know, everyone everyone that runs the air raid has a little bit different take on it. And he even said he's like. I'll bring anybody in that wants to, you know, kind of look at the offense, any coaches that, you know, that are interested, you know, there's nothing special about it. It's just the efficiency that you're going to run it with, you know, being able to attack mismatches and attack weaknesses on a defense, you know, attack overloads and different things like that, that I think is, is, is what his system is going to do for this offense. Um, I think that he's going to be able to put put things in place. And, and I think that, USC's offense should take off with this. You know, from from hearing him, from seeing his previous offenses, it looks like USC's offense should take off because you have so many playmakers. If you can block a little bit up front, you should be good to go. It's hard to believe we are less than a week. We're a couple days away from football again. Spring football starting on Tuesday the 5th. Practices are open to the public. <gasps> Crazy. <gasps> Yeah, so everyone can come out and watch. Uh, you know, that's a difference. You know, this year there was what two or three the last couple of years that were open each each uh, camp. Now they're all going to be open here in the spring. Um, I think that's a great thing. You know, it's back to the USC kind of the tradition with Pete Carroll and everything that he wanted fans to be there. And when you've been struggling, give fans something to get excited about. You yeah. know, well, I want to go see them practice. And then if you practice well, then. This team this year, you know, you, you get that type of uh, talk starting to go around rather than being like, "Well, I heard from the reports." You know, no, I went and saw for myself, and I like this guy. You know, I want, I'm excited about seeing this guy next year and this guy. So, uh, I, I think that you know, it's a great opportunity and it's something that creates goodwill with the fans as well. Yeah, and so just for you at home, so you know, practices are on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Tuesday and Thursdays are going to be at 3.15. The Saturday practices are going to be at 10 a.m. A little weird thing, the spring showcase is going to be on Saturday the 6th of April, but then there's going to be another week of practice after that. Uh, That's at 11 a.m. I think that's a Pac-12 thing. Uh, I assume it's a TV thing, but I still want, I'm kind of curious, like, because on the schedule that we received, there's three scrimmages listed. The last of those scrimmages is that showcase. 
So is the last week, is there no, going to be no scrimmaging? I mean, are you just teaching off of what happened during that that spring showcase? I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of curious to hear about that and, you know, kind of see what Clay Helton says about why they had that. Was it just TV? And it could be because, you know, a lot of TV ru- runs everything uh, in, in that regard, scheduling and time things. So that might just be the only reason that it is. But if that is the reason, if that's not the reason, I want to know what it is. If yeah. that is the reason, I still want to know what are you going to do differently now that your you know, your big thing that you're building up to is not your final thing. What are you going to do that set, that last week to to try to take advantage of a different schedule? Could you argue that that the spring showcase was something that they build up to? I felt like it was always anticlimactic. I felt like it was. It has been recently, but that's kind of. I mean, as a player, you're thinking, okay, this is my last chance to to prove myself in the spring before a you know three month break where I, I don't get to show the coaches what I can do. So true. I just I always thought the scrimmage before that one was always like the real one. Like people, it, I mean, it has been the last I don't know three or four years because yeah. they haven't had a true spring game I mean it's been since maybe Victor Blackwell that they had a true spring game when he had I think three touchdowns in a game from Cody Kessler so um, so yeah unfortunately that's been the case because of some of the injuries they've had and stuff and who knows that the spring showcase this year will be any different with how many limited bodies they have in the secondary in particular if one guy gets hurt there you might be like "Eh, I don't think that we can actually practice you know a full full on you know scrimmage type of thing so uh, we'll see um, it has played out that way the last couple of years. And, you know, even, you know, uh, in, in fall camp, it's been that second scrimmage that's really, you know, been the, the biggest one rather than the mock game week or anything like that. Uh, so I, I think it's maybe it's different this year with the way the schedule plays out. Maybe you can go a full scrimmage there and go a little bit lighter the last week where it's more teaching off of what that last scrimmage was. Uh, but I, I still think the players build up to it because yep. that's their last chance to prove themselves for, for about three months. Yeah, I would agree. Now, continuing our coaching preview, Mike Jinks, he was originally a Cliff Kingsbury guy. He came over in that move. If you're Mike Jinks, how do you mesh with Graham Harrell? You know, it's not the guy that you thought you were coming over with. How do you mesh all of that? You know, I, I think Kingsbury and Graham Harrell actually, know each other, obviously, you know, from their Texas Tech days. Um, I think that he probably put in a good word for Graham Harrell, uh, you know, or for Mike Jinks to Graham Harrell. I'm sure he had some conversation there between those two guys. Um, I think you look at it and say, hey, this is a similar offense to what I was expecting. You know, let me see what this this other guy knows, this young guy, Graham Harrell. Let me see what he knows as well. Um, I don't think there's too much of, and coaches, you know, you kind of get used to this where you come in, you might know one guy, you might know another guy, that guy leaves. Well, you get to know everybody else in the group as well. Uh, so, you know, obviously Mike Jinks was a head coach at Bowling Green, so he's used to guys coming and going as well in the same, you know, a similar mold. So I don't think that's a big deal there. I think what he brings, though, is that he knows the spread offense as well. So he's going to be teaching up the running backs, obviously, but I think he also helps out teaching up the, the offensive line because, you know, that he's going to be helping with the run game and, you know, how that kind of fits the spread versus Tim Drevno and how much Tim Drevno knows with that air raid, I, I think that Mike Jinks can help out there and, and lend a helping hand there when they're do, going through you know those seven on seven type of drills uh, with just the you know with the run game. Uh, so I, I think that it that it helps the offense there because he's a guy that knows the air raid offense. And though there's some differences, obviously with Graham Harrell versus Cliff Kingsbury, I think there's enough similarities where he helps out there and he's shown how good his running backs can be. In that system, you know, DeAndre Washington at Texas Tech ran for over a thousand yards. He was a guy that was ended up being an NFL draft pick mainly because of his production uh, at Texas Tech. And I think USC's running backs 
have a great opportunity to ha- have success in this new offense uh, because Graham Harrell also talked about, you know, the air raid is this this concept, but he wants to run the ball. That's one of the things that's different between maybe Mike Leach uh, versus him is that this is, you know, all kind of trickles down from Mike Leach and Hal Mummy, but there's differences to every every different guy, and Graham Harrell's uh, preference is to run the ball more. So I think you're going to see that the the offense is going to try to run the ball, and you've got some backs, and I think that Mike Jinks' uh, previous pass experience in the offense helps out the running back in the running game. Yeah, I think anytime you have another helping hand and teaching that system is helpful. As far as his head coaching time, how much does it help USC just to have another a former head coach in the room. It never hurts. I mean, we've talked about it on you know our, our previous show with Bruce Feldman about all the extra analysts a place like Alabama has, and it's like former head coaches. Having an extra head coach, usually you get to the top and you become a head coach because you have pretty good uh, football acumen. So usually having more guys in the room that know a lot is a good thing. Uh, you know, if you, sometimes you get guys going back and forth, but I still think that, you know, that, that – uh, that transference of knowledge that you get from having head coaches and hey, well, you know, even even though it's at Bowling Green versus USC, like hey, I had this situation where we had this, um, and this didn't work for us or this did work for us, and you can just pass along. Head coach at, at Clay Hilton then gets to decide. All right, what do I need to take? How much of this information do I need to take and use myself? Versus, okay, that didn't work for him. Let's stay away from, you know, or whatever it may be. But I just think that extra information is always a good thing. It's just like you get a bunch of scientists in a room together and they start talking science. That's a good thing. Not well, we got one that's in you know Ukraine and one that's in you know Mexico and one that's and they don't talk with each other. You know, it's a lot better when you get great minds together. You know, great things can come out of that. So I think getting more and more knowledge is always a good thing. Agree. All you scientists out there talking science, we salute you. Talking science. Well, you never know what they, what they might be talking something else. They might just want to be talking about their bets on the, the horses or whatever. You never know. Sure. Moving on. Uh, t- you don't think science is bet on horses? Come on, Healy. Maybe. If any scientists listen to the podcast, please email us your opinion at familyfewpod at gmail.com. <laughs> Moving on, Tim Dremno remains the run game and pass protection coordinator, but he does move over permanently as offensive line coach. He took over uh, at that position for the last four games of the 2018 season. Can we tell anything from how Tim Dremno is going to run the offensive line? One, based on the last four games. Two, because it's a new system and the air rate is different. Can we can we glean anything from that time period? Not from the last four games of the season. I mean, it looked like, wow, the offensive line got really a lot better because they played Oregon State the first game yeah. and they ran the ball well. Um, but I think you take more from his previous time at USC and the things that some of the previous players said about him, uh, you know, because they had so many different offensive line coaches. You know, you talk to guys, you know, as they're exiting, you know, who was your favorite? What'd you, you know, who'd you learn the most from? And, you know, multiple guys said Tim Drevno in that time period where he was there. Um, so, and he's, he, he, it depends on the person. One of the things that one, one guy, uh, one former office lineman said to me that stood out is that he takes what you're really good at and, and puts you in the right positions to use that. Um, so if you're a guy that pulls really well, then, you know, he's going to put you in positions to pull or whatever it may be in, in that regard. Um, so I'm looking for that run game to improve. Obviously I think the offensive line will improve. 
just wasn't working with Neil Calloway. It was obvious before last year. The fact that Tim Drevno was brought in, it was kind of like, okay, well, he's the backup in case things don't go well for this offensive line. That's never a good thing. You shouldn't have a backup waiting in the wings like that. The fact that they put him at running back coach was still kind of baffling. To if you're gonna, you know, you're gonna basically bring in a shadow and say, well, if you don't get this stuff figured out, your shadow's taken over. You should just made the move in the first place. Um, so you didn't make that. You saw the offensive lineman did not improve last year. So I think you're gonna see improvement. Um, the the thing that is concerning about the offensive line is that you lose three starters three senior starters off that group. That's going to be tough to replace, obviously. There is talent there. You know, guys like Austin Jackson, uh, Andrew Voorhees, Elijah Vera Tucker, those guys have gotten playing time, but the rest of the group has not. So you're going to need some guys to get experience quickly and, and kind of get in there. And I think they can be really good. Now, the question about the air raid, that's a, a little bit different. Um, you know, I think offensive line principles are pretty much the same. Unless you go from a, you know, kind of a, a true zone read where you're going to do a lot of chop blocking on the edges to, you know, just a straight, straight ahead power run game to an extent, the offensive line principles are pretty much the same. Uh, so, you know, it, a lot of it is spacing with the air raid. You know, the, the, the splits may be really wide in the air raid system. I, you know, I haven't really seen much of Graham Harrell's run game to really focus on that. Uh, but you know, that, those are things I'm looking at, uh, from a from a distance during spring camp to see what can I see some discernible differences in the offensive line and how they're lining up or what they're being asked to do those type of things I don't think it's going to be that much different I think the principles of getting out and getting your hat in front of the other guy uh, you know don't let a guy cross your face those type of things are still uh, the the fundamentals are still there and I think Tim Drevno can teach those as run game and pass protection coordinator how much do you expect Tim Drevno to work with Graham Harrow? Obviously, all the offensive line coaches. Have, I mean, all the coaches have to work together. Yeah, yeah. The offensive line and the, and the uh, offensive coordinator are probably the two that work together the most, uh, in my opinion. Because usually the quarterbacks coach is a part of that, but like the running backs coach, you can do whatever with the running backs coach. The wide receivers, they're not working as you know. It's not the fundamentals that are are, are as, as important as the offensive line with the offensive coordinator. Because if your offensive line can only do certain things then your offensive coordinator can only call certain things. So you, you, those two guys have to usually mesh really well. So that's a that's a thing that's going to be, you know, I don't, I don't want to say it's dicey, but it is kind of a, a question mark going into this is how do those two guys get along when, you know, one of them's from, you know, comes from the Stanford, Michigan power run with, with uh, Jim Harbaugh to now you're going to a different type of offense. How does that mesh? Uh, so that'll be a question, and we'll, that's one of the things – Looking at the offensive line and seeing if there's anything different that you can see from afar, those are the things you're kind of looking for. Yeah, just I want to see how much they interact and like what what the communication is like between coaches and and what practice kind of molds into that way. Yeah, and that could be interesting because if you remember, you know, Tim Drevno, Neil Calloway at practice. You know, Tim Drevno never Drevno never stepped on Neil Calloway's toes. Yeah, as far as getting in and oh well, we got to do this with the offensive line. No, he stayed back. But it never really seemed like there was a lot of communication between those guys on the field. They they were standing beside each other sometimes, but it's not like they were saying, "Oh yeah, this here." That, no, that was they were kind of you know solo individuals side by side rather than you know a group of coaches working together. So you know, maybe the if you can see you know some communication, you see how those guys are interacting with each other at practice, or is it 
kind of two isolated guys. And, you know, there's an invisible invisible wall in between them. You know, we'll see. Yeah, and, and I think that's as a whole on the offense because, like, I, even when the tight ends were struggling to to block well, I asked Neil Calloway, like, do you talk to uh, Kerry Colbert? Do you talk to the tight ends about maybe some better blocking techniques or how to kind of mesh with the tackles? And and he was like, nope, I, we let them do their thing and, and we trust that they'll take care of it, which, I mean – they that's, shouldn't have. That's They shouldn't have. That's one philosophy. I don't think it worked, but I think communication, it only helps. Yeah, and the fact that the tight ends were the worst-rated group on the team tells you that obviously they needed to do more. Um, and, and that's the thing is if you're not looking at the offense as a whole, you can't just look at it as individuals. The wide receivers, yeah, you can have great wide receivers, but you can't get the ball to them. What does it matter? And you got to look at it as a whole. So you, as wide receivers, you can't be like, well, we're really good at running goes. Well, we can't protect long enough for him to throw the go or for the you know to throw a deep out. We're really good at running those. Well, you can't if you can't protect. Okay, well we need to work on doing these other routes that are quicker so that we can help out the quarterback in the offensive line. It's got to work as a unit. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Kerry Colbert, we mentioned the tight ends. He's moving over from the tight end position, and now he's solely coaching the wide receivers. The former longtime wide receiver coach T. Byrne is not there. I think that's something that. I still will have to kind of get used to at practice because T. Martin was kind of a staple of this era of USC football. Uh, what do you take away from Kerry Colbert moving over to more of his position that he played? I think this is much better for him. You know, this is the same thing with Drevno. I thought he was out of place last year. Now, I I don't know how much to blame him for the tight ends play. That's what I was going to ask. You know, it's it's hard to say. Oh well, it's all his fault. You know, I, I think that that goes into the whole offensive system and the fact that what we just said. The Neil Calloway is like, well, they're on their own. Well, that's the kind of the situation where you have a young coach coming in. You are a you know a fifty year veteran in the in the sport. That's a guy you should be taking under wing, like helping out. But it didn't seem like it just seemed like there was the there was a disconnect there, and maybe there was, maybe there was behind the scenes, but you know it just didn't seem like it's on the surface. So I think him going to the receivers, I think is a much better fit for him. You know, last year he was a tight end slash inside receivers, which that's perfectly fine. I think he can you know help out inside receivers. He knows how to run all those routes. You know, he's done that in the pros himself. I think he's just a better fit at wide receiver. You know, some coaches can jump positions pretty easily. You know, some positions translate. You know, if you're a linebacker in college yourself or in the pros, you can still teach, you know, you can still coach running backs because you've been focusing on running backs for a long time as a player yourself. But I just don't know that how much, you know, a, a wide receiver and a pro wide receiver knows about tight ends and, you know, maybe the, the blocking schemes there because it's a little bit different. Uh, so I think it's, it's just a much better fit for him at wide receivers. I don't know that he did a bad job at tight ends. I just don't – the tight ends were terrible. I don't know who to blame there. Yeah. I blame Daniel and Bebe's injury for part of it because if he's in there, the, the offense is much better uh, just just uh, having him there. So I think it's a better fit there. I think the, I think the, the offense coaching staff is a huge upgrade this year. One, because you got people in the right spots now. Yeah. Tim Drevno is out of place. Kerry Colbert probably out of place. You had T. Martin trying to do double duty, and he even said himself that, yeah, you know, I've kind of slacked on my receiver coach duties. And, you yeah. know, we didn't see that the receivers didn't play as well as they had previously, and there's still talent there. It wasn't like, well, they had Marquise Lee and Robert Woods and those guys, and that's the only reason why they're really good. No, they. Those guys improved year over year, whereas this group, you know, last year you saw that there were struggles, you know, the the receivers running wrong routes and running into each other. Those type of things shouldn't be happening, but I think part of it was T. Martin was stretched too far. Yeah. So now 
I think you're in a better place just overall with that whole staff. I mean, I, I think Tim Drevno is where he should be at offensive line. Carrick Colbert at receivers is better for him. Mike Jinks bringing him in as a you know air raid running backs coach. I think the offensive staff is much better this year. Well, the last coach we haven't mentioned yet, John Baxter moving back to tight ends. What do you feel about that? Because there were, you know, the whole Kerry Angeline thing, I think, left a sour taste in some fans' mouth. What do you think about him coming back to that position? The, the question here is, can he do both of them effectively? I think that, that was part of the thing with the Carrie Angeline uh, problem was that Carrie Angeline felt like he had you know didn't have a great relationship with John Baxter and it from his side it's he he felt that John Baxter spent too much time with special teams or spent more time with special teams and didn't really care about the tight ends and getting to know you know that group of four or five guys so can John Baxter do both of them you know we're getting the special teams in a little bit, but special teams has some areas of deficiency as well. And a lot of it comes down to organization. Can John Baxter be organized enough to do the tight ends and special teams? That's going to be the question. You know, I, I think he can be a fine special, I mean, a fine tight ends coach. He's been a really, really good special teams coach. Can he do both of them? He has to stay organized and stay streamlined enough that he can do both of them. That's a big question for him. Yeah. Agreed. Um, As far as, I just feel like the offense, you kind of touched on this already. It just feels like last season, everything was a little bit shifted off. Like the pieces, the puzzle pieces didn't totally fit. There were some pieces that were kind of mashed in and you're like, eh, this works. Okay. The puzzle. Uh, but now, oh, you bought one of those, uh, you bought one of those puzzles off the, off the street corner. You know, <laughs> no. normally you get them for like $14 in the store, but it was like, Oh, it was, it was a dollar 40. It was, it was 10%. So I went ahead and bought it. And then the pieces just don't go together. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> no, I was talking more about like your inability to, to finish the puzzle and you're kind of like <laughs> mash the, the pieces and you're like, Oh, this works. I guess you someone want- didn't cut this right. It's not going together. <laughs> but now I feel like it, it fits more. And I feel like as far as the, the spreading of duties, I feel like it's more even, you know, T Martin was stretched too thin. As we mentioned, I feel like, like especially having the offensive coordinator as a quarterback's coach that just feels so much better than what USC had going before yeah and and you know it's tough for the quarterback's coach last year uh you know Brian Ellis with three inexperienced guys and an inexperienced coach himself that's tough it's a tough situation like I said I just think the offensive coaches are in a much better position this year um and Graham Harrell has a little bit more experience than Brian Ellis did not a ton he's still a young guy too but I, I think his offensive philosophy will help the quarterbacks at the same time um, while it helps the offense as a whole. Agreed. Uh, let's move on to the defense. We talked about Clancy Pendergrass already. Any any thoughts about him? He's a defensive coordinator and assistant head coach for USC. Any thoughts? You know, Clancy's system, you know, they have to rotate. They have to use some guys a little bit more. And he wants those experienced guys in there. So guys have to step up in practice and show themselves. And that's something – some of the talented guys, they have to do a little bit better job of, uh, but also Clancy has to do a better job of getting some of those young guys in there and giving them those five-day plays that I always ask for per game. Now, Johnny Nansen is taking over as inside linebackers coach. That's something that he wa- that Clancy Pendergast was beforehand. Uh, Johnny Nansen is now the defensive run game coordinator and inside linebackers coach. How do you see Nansen taking over, over that duty? You know, I don't think it changes much. I mean, he worked with outside linebackers before, you know, he's still working really closely with Clancy Pendergast. It's going to be basically those two guys because Clancy still works with what last year was working with the inside linebackers and the safeties. And, you know, he's kind of floated in between. He stays in the middle of the field, basically, you know, inside line, you know, the linebackers, a back seven, but mostly in the middle of the field uh, there. 
I think that there's not much that changes there. I don't think that you change your you know technique and stylings. Uh, Giant Anson has been an inside linebackers coach before or just straight linebackers coach uh, at USC. So I don't think a ton changes there. I think it's a little bit different as far as the pass rush stuff. I, I think now he's going to be working more with Clancy than with the defensive line coach. I'm impressed by Johnny Nansen's ability to kind of flip-flop. At one point, USC fans forget he was the running backs coach for USC. Running backs coach and special teams coordinator. Yeah, so I, I think that he's kind of flourished in his defensive role and as a recruiter. And this is what I said. Like I believe Nansen was a running, I mean, a linebacker in college himself. So running backs and linebackers, those are two things you can usually teach better because you're used to focusing on that. You've seen what guys do well. Now you may not know all the drills. You may have to go through, you know, some coaching, uh, you know, coaching manuals or coaching clinics and stuff to get a couple of drills. But you can tell guys the same thing, like, oh yeah, I really had trouble when this guy would do this, you know, and and you know you can go off of your experience in different ways. Whereas if you go from linebacker to suddenly you're you're coaching defensive line or maybe line, I mean uh, the secondary something sometimes that can be different because you're not used to watching those players on that play you're used to just having those guys beside you. Now the next three guys that we're going to mention are new to the staff. Now caveat because Joe DeForest technically isn't new. He was um, a consultant, an analyst last season, and we saw him roaming around the field. He is now the outside linebackers coach. In my mind, this is kind of like a Tim Drevno for running backs hired because Joe DeForest is known for special teams, um, but now he's at outside linebackers. What do you think about this hire, Shotgun? Yeah, so last year it felt like in the same way that Tim Drevno was the shadow for Neil Calloway, it felt kind of like Joe DeForest was a, was the shadow for John Baxter because the special teams had been a point of contention with some fans and you know there was question marks about that going in. And it felt like, well, we brought this guy in an analyst to help out. And, well, we need to make a move. Well, we have a guy already. So now him going outside linebackers is just kind of confusing. You know, I don't know his full background with linebackers. How long has it been since he's been coaching linebackers? I think he's going to lean on Johnny Nansen for this. I think Nansen is going to be able to help out there. It might just end up being where Nansen's coaching the linebackers and Joe DeForest is helping out. Who I mean, we won't really know until we see him on the field and how much, you know, how separate the drills are. Are those drills going together? You know, how how do they kind of play it out? How do they kind of help him out if it's a position he hasn't, uh, you know, coached up recently? Um, how do you get him back in the groove of coaching up linebackers? Yeah, I obviously know why you would separate the inside linebackers and outside linebackers. In this system. Yes, for sure. Yes. But if you're going to have, why bring on Joe DeForce to do specifically outside linebackers? If that's not, if, if you brought in some outside linebacker guru to do this, that makes sense. But why, why make that, that separation? You know, they kind of already were separated. So it's not like it's a new separation because basically Cam Smith and the inside guys were working with Clancy Pendergast. The outside guys are working more the defensive line with the pass rush unit because in USC's Two, four, five system. You know that's what they use seventy-five to eighty percent of the time. They're two down linemen, two stand-up outside linebackers. Those outside linebackers are basically they're they're a hybrid defensive end. So you're working more on getting to the passer than you are dropping into coverage a lot. So I think that the inside linebackers are focused on reads and dropping. Uh, for coverage versus the outside linebackers also reads, but it's reads and getting to the quarterback 
uh, rather than, you know, once you realize it's a pass, you're going forward. When you're inside linebacker and you realize it's a pass, you're going backwards. So it's different in that regard. Whereas a normal, you know, 3 4 system, your outside linebackers, maybe one of them is, is blitzing on each play, but they're usually dropping back uh, the rest of the time. Whereas USC's alignment, the outside linebackers aren't blitzing, they're just always coming after the passer. So that's going to be something interesting to watch for now that he was kind of roaming beforehand and now that he's going to be an actual coach, how does he take up that that leadership role? Um, the new guy, Chad Kawahaha, that's going to be something that we're going to have to get. You know, EA was a struggle at first and now we kind of figure that out. This is going to be one of those journeys. Well, if you just go with EA, it's pretty simple. Just like if you go with Chad K, it's pretty simple. True, true. Pal- Kawahaha. It's pretty simple. Duh. Say it one more time. Chad Kawahaha. Nope, I added an extra ha in there. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, we'll get it eventually. We'll get it. That's what I'm saying. That's my point. He is the defensive line coach taking over uh, that role from Kenichi Udezi. We talked about this a little bit on our defensive preview. What do you expect from Chad? You know, he's a guy that has experience with Boise State and Wisconsin and these other places. I, I expect him to bring in some different ideas. You know, uh, KU was a younger coach uh, and, and really taught up, you know, the techniques of stuff that he had learned through his time as a pro, I'm curious to see what Chad K brings in that's different, what's unique. What does he bring in from a Big Ten school like Wisconsin? What does he bring in from Boise State, who has smaller guys, you know, that you know are less recruited, but so they got to be, you know, more technically sound. Can this group be better uh, under a new coach? And what different does he bring from his previous stops? You know, he's been in the Pac-12 before, so you know he's used to the Pac-12 style of play, but. How, what does he bring in, and, and how does that mesh with the two four five that the Clancy Pendergast runs? And I will say though that the Chad K has a lot of talent at his disposal. We've talked about previously yep. in the last podcast. There's a lot of depth on that defense line. That is the position that he he comes in and he's like, all right, I got bodies to work with. If this guy's not doing it, I can bring in this guy. You know, I can rotate guys as much as I want because he's got eight nine guys there on that defense line that he can use. Yeah, he. I think he has the most at his disposal out of any coach coming to USC. So uh, he at least gets that let perk. Uh, moving on to Greg Burns, I feel like defensive backs coach. I feel like we've kind of already gotten a taste of Greg Burns just from the recruiting cycle um, and the difference that that he has now that he's at USC. I think he definitely picked up the slack a little bit as far as recruiting goes. Uh, what do you expect from him on the field? And he had to because yeah. USC is so thin at DBs going into the spring. They had to go get a number of guys. Now, some of those guys were a little bit of a reach. Uh, we'll see how some of them work out. You know, they're not the the uh, guys that USC was was going after early in the cycle. They came in late and swooped up some guys. They, they did a good job of filling up the numbers wise, so that they have some bodies this year. Now, can they coach them up? Because, like we said, those aren't those weren't USC's first picks. You know, guys like Dorian Hewitt. Dorian Hewitt. May have been on the radar, but Dorian Hewitt was not a guy that they were, you know, smoozing, uh, you know, since you know for a year and a half, like they were with or Chris Steele. They've probably been talking to him for three years. They didn't get Chris Steele, so now you got guys that you're still probably learning a little bit about too. You know, we've seen your tape. We really liked what we saw, but you know, I don't know about your your grandma's cousins, baby mamas, uh, you know, dogs' best friend. You know, the dogs' best friend is important. Wow. With someone, I don't know, but you know, you don't you don't know the whole lineage. Whereas you know, a lot of those guys that you talk to every day, the thing that you hear most in recruiting when guys have you know have talked ad nauseum with them, we don't we don't talk football anymore. Yeah, we talk about life. We talk about hey, how's your day? That type of thing. Well, I, I think with some of these DBs they brought in, it's like 
I'm still getting to know you. What are you good at? You know, those type of things, because uh, it's been a, you know, a two-month process rather than a two-year process. So how quickly can you coach up some of those guys and figuring out what their weaknesses are and maybe why they weren't as recruited as highly as some other guys? All right, th- this is what we got to identify. How do we work on that? How do we get that better? Because now you're taking some guys a little that are at least rated a little less talented than others. Now you got to coach them up. So you know he's coached at Oregon State, uh, you know, and places like that where you have to coach up players to be successful. So you know it's not no- it's nothing new. Not having the five star guys all over the place, but you know, now you got to coach them up. Can you get them to the level of USC's DBs, you know, that have been, you know, the guys that have been the five stars from Iman Marshall and Jack Jones and all those guys who come in are talented enough to get on the field their freshman year? In that sense, Greg Burns kind of has the polar opposite. Uh, of oh, yeah. of of depth chart as Chad K does, um, but looking at the defense as a whole, what do you think about the the additions and subtractions that they made in the off season? You know, I, I think it's definitely an improvement as far as recruiting wise, uh, because you know you adding Greg Burns and he's been out there you know working hard on it on the recruiting trail. How can you coach those guys up? You know, I'm not really sure about the Joe DeForest. We'll see how that one works out. You know, I, I think this is still Clancy's defense. It all goes through him. It's up to him. Now can you teach up the techniques, the fundamentals to get guys to where they can be in the right position, where they, they can be, as they always say, you got to learn the defense enough or learn the system enough to where you're out there playing without thinking. Yeah. So can this group, you know, can their technique be sound enough that they can just go play, not be thinking about what they need to do? As a whole for this coaching staff, if you're new, what are you doing in this time period before spring to kind of build up that chemistry with your guys? Uh, getting to know them. You know, you're doing your team building type of things. You know, people people think that's overrated, but it's important to have those family style dinners and stuff with with your group to go out and do, you know, uh, an event to go bowling or whatever it may be as a group. This doesn't have to be something that's publicized on everybody's social media and everything, but you want to get to know those guys and you want to be able to, you know, you want to know their families and everything else, but you also want to be able to connect with them on a personal level besides just a football level. So it's getting them to work hard and making sure that they're doing the right things off the field right now in the classroom and other things. So if they're eligible to play, uh, but it's, it's getting to know the guys and, and, you know, getting that connection with them so that, you know, the guys want to go that extra step or that extra, you know, that extra bound for, for your coach. You know, so those are the things that have to be going on with a new coaching staff with, with their players going into the season because they can't get too much hands-on right now. You know, the restrictions with, you know, the NCAA and everything, you can't be out there coaching them up one-on-one and everything throughout the entire offseason. Um, so in the last sense, before we move on to our final position preview with special teams, uh, any final thoughts about this coaching staff and what you expect in the spring? You know, there, there's with the new guys – how do they mesh with the other guys? I mean, we talked about that a little bit with the offense and how, how is that communication going? Uh, but those new guys on the defensive side, how are they working with Clancy and you know, how does that kind of mesh as well? Yeah, I, I think so too. Just and I'm curious if anything changes. You know, practice it feels like it's been etched in stone. You know, so does does anything change? Is there is, does new blood, uh, fresh blood, bring any new ideas, practice techniques, anything like that? Yeah, I'm new drills and yeah, stuff. Yeah. I mean, we saw that with Dylan McCullough. That there was something that stood out to us is the new drills he brought himself. Do we see that from any of the other coaches as well? I agree. Moving on to special teams. Special teams. <laughs> you have to finish it. Oh. No, it was just there is special huh? special teams uh, at long snapper departures. You have the beloved Jake Olson. He leaves the team. What was the what, what was the last game that he snapped in? Do you remember? Off the top of my head, no. Um, the 
was a hit at a Pac-12 game, right? Yeah, I think so. It's just unfortunate that he wasn't able to to get a proper send off. He did on senior day, senior night, mm-hmm. but the final snapping send off would have been <laughs> fun to see. Well, if they were if if they would be blown out by Notre Dame, I'm sure that was in the cards. Uh, but since it was a close game, or if they could have blown out Notre Dame, it could have been the same thing, but it didn't happen. True. So you have Jake Olson on the departures. As far as who's left on the depth chart, you have Damon Johnson and freshman, now going to be sophomore, Jack Cassante. But Damon, Damon Johnson is your guy as far as long snapping. Yeah, Jack Cassante is there for, uh, you know, he's there for depth. If you have an injury to Damon Johnson, uh, that way you have a extra long snapper. He was a preferred walk-on from a, I can't remember, I think Oaks Christian local school. I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, So he's a guy that uh, is just there for depth. Damon Johnson has been really good. We haven't really heard Damon Johnson's name, which is always a good thing with long snappers. Yep. The only time you want to hear a long snapper's name is when they make a tackle on a punt. That's about it. Because they're yep. rushing down there, they're usually the first guy, and often they miss the tackle because you know, they're not really expecting them to make the tackle. But... You know that's the only time you really want to hear their name, um, but you know he's done a really good job. He's followed in the footsteps of Zach Smith. You know Zach Smith was really really good for USC. The snaps have been there. They've taken care of that. So I think USC, you know, that's a great job recruiting there because they gave they got a got a scholarship. If you're gonna give one of those guys a scholarship, they better be good. And he's done a good job. For sure, I would agree. Uh, as far as punter, I think punter is a really interesting situation this year just because you have Reed Budgerich and Chris Tilby. They both moved on. Uh, so now you essentially just have the new guy, Ben Griffiths, the Aussie, the, the older guy in the group, uh, as the punter. It's an interesting situation with punting because Helton said in the early, uh, National Signing Day presser that they didn't want to go for a young factor, so they went basically on the other spectrum, the older factor with Ben Griffiths. I believe he's 27, so all the weight of punting is on Ben Griffiths' shoulders pretty much yeah former professional uh australian rules football um player so he is wise and experienced and probably has some good money too so you know if, if i'm one of the current players i'm like hey grandpa come on let me get let me borrow some some dollars or whatever it may be uh because he's coming in he's an older dude obviously but the video we've seen of him the reports we've heard from he's booming the ball booming booming yeah, so he's got a giant leg. Uh, you know, the reason why he quit Australian rules football was actually because of concussions. Um, so that is, you know, it's not because he was getting, he was his not performing or anything. He was playing pretty well um, for his team. And I think they won the title his final year after he got injured, but they still won the title there. So Ben Griffiths is coming in. You know, it's a different um, different scene for him and everything. You know, seeing some of his social media posts, he's, he's still learning the American ways and stuff. He's got to learn all the the, the uh, rules of the game as well. I know that's something they teach in the school. that he's. There's a school for punters and stuff in Australia that's produced, had produced, I think, four or five consecutive um Ray Guy Award winners, which the Ray Guy Award is uh, honor, is given every year to the top punter in the nation. So they, I think this past year was the first time that it, it broke the streak, actually. So it was like five, the previous five before this year, maybe, uh, were, were Ray Guy Award winners. All came from that that uh, same school in Australia, including Mitch Wisnowski, who was at uh, Utah. You know, Utah has always got really good special teams. They've, done, they've pulled from this, this school before as well. Um, so I, I think he's going to come in. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to, you know, you people are going to be like, whoa, whoa, what's this? You're booming the ball over here, booming. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see if there's any hashtag boomings on uh, on game days this year. Are you going to tweet that out? Oh yeah, 
Oh yeah. You're already you're already ready for that. Hey, if it's I mean, there were so many 17-yard punts last year, you know, if you kick it 45 consistently, people are going to be like, "What is this? This is crazy." <laughs> Moving on to place kicker, you actually have no departures there. You do have Chase McGrath, Michael Brown, and Alex Stadhouse coming back. You also have Thomas Fitz, the once uh, walk-on quarterback, quarterback, now uh, place kicker. But Chase McGrath, he's coming back off of ACL. He tore his ACL in the Texas game, Uh, that pretty uh, dramatic scene when that happened, the block kick. Uh, But what are you expecting out of of these kickers? I think it's an open competition now. I mean, you you got a guy coming off an injury. You got Michael Brown who came in who had the same thing. He tore his ACL his freshman year. Um, And and then I think Chase McGrath took over then, if I remember correctly. Um, So now you got an open competition. Michael Brown did pretty good last year when he had his opportunities. So, you know, they weren't really kicking a lot of long field goals. Whereas Chase McGrath, I feel like they they had a little bit more, uh, you know, had a little bit more length of rope with him. But... I think you're going to come in and these two guys are competing for that spot. And I don't think that, I don't know that Alex Stadhouse is in the field goal kicking competition, but he dominated the kickoff, uh, you know, the place kicking kickoff spot. So I think he's back there again. You know, if he continues to improve with his accuracy of his field goals, he's got a big leg. So he could be a guy that could be in that competition as well. And then you might have two, you might have, once again, you might have two scholarship um, special teams players sitting on the bench. Because he could take over that, and he's not a scholarship guy, and they are. That would not be the best situation for USC, but I guess we'll see how that plays out. We had to have an honorable mention category for Wyatt Schmidt. He's the jack of all trades, and he is an important departure that USC is facing this season. Yeah, so he was the guy that was the holder last year. He was also the backup long snapper. He was also a you know third or fourth string punter. I mean, if if God forbid they run through a string of injuries there. He could do it all for him. Now you don't have him. So now it depends. You know, so the question becomes, who becomes that holder for USC? You know, Do you want to use a quarterback? A lot of teams use a quarterback. You know, that way it gives you the option for fakes and stuff. You can throw the ball. But you also put a quarterback in danger of a guy diving and hitting them or whatever it may be there. And you don't always have a holder. I mean, you don't always have a quarterback being able to go over and help out with the kickers while they're you know off doing their thing throughout the entire practice. So it makes it a lot easier when you can have your three-man set of long snapper, holder, and kicker to be able to practice together, which is what Wyatt Smith was for them last year. He could he could you know help out. He could hold for one kick and then he go long snap the next one if you need him to. How are they gonna uh, gonna fill in there? It's great to have a guy like that. Can they find somebody else that can do a little bit of everything on special teams? Because when you have these several scholarships on special teams and you have a couple guys that aren't participating because of either injuries, you know, season-long injuries, or because they've gotten beat out, it's good to have a jack-of-all-trades type of guy that can go in and can, you know, can help out and fill in voids there. So we'll see who becomes the holder. I think you go back to the quarterback system. You know, Jack Sears was the backup holder last year. We'll see if he gets elevated to that or if they decide to move somebody else there to, you know, to help out and be able to practice with that. In that sense, I feel like there's kind of holes in the, the special teams' uh, depth. You know, you're missing that that – some of the key guys that you don't really think about until you need them, and then you're like, oh, boy. So I, I feel like USC is kind of iffy on depth right now. No, you you are never short on depth. If you have a kicker and a punter, you're never short on depth uh, of your special teams. You should be able to teach someone how to long snap. It's not that difficult. And it is a skill. It is definitely a skill. But it's something that can be taught. Um, and you have backup linemen. Those guys can be – and your, your long snappers are usually smaller guys that can run down the field, especially for punts. 
you've got a guy in Damon Johnson there. You've got uh, a, looks like a really good punter coming in in Ben Griffiths. And you got two kickers. Now, both of them have had the ACL surgery, but I think both of them have an opportunity to, to be in that competition and compete. you got to walk on an Alex Stadhouse. I don't think there's holes there. I think the, the, okay. the depth is pretty good. You know, you figure out somebody to be the holder. That's not a big deal. That's probably the, the easiest job on a football field. I would, what do you think? Easiest? Maybe. Easiest? If you're, Easiest if, job. If you're feeling a bad snap, not really, in game crunch time. Uh, that is way easier than every other thing that you're being asked to do on any other position. You've got one pretty simple job. Catch it. Laces out. Dan Marino. Laces out. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I, I think that with, when you have several scholarship players or multiple scholarship players, that is a boon to the special teams unit. Do you want to take them away from the other areas? I don't know. That's a co- you know that's a head coaching decision there because some programs growing up in Georgia, watching the Georgia program, Georgia usually had one scholarship player that was a special teams player, and that guy earned his scholarship usually in year two or three. They would take some local kids. They would use the Hope Scholarship, which helps you get a scholarship if you keep an academic standing. And then they would, you know you would you would be able to go to school. You'd be on the Georgia football team. You're so excited about that. Blah blah blah. And then, you know, if you earned a scholarship in your third or fourth year, then good for you. But they weren't going to, you weren't going out and recruiting kickers from, you know, to, to be with a scholarship initially. And some coaches don't do that. Sometimes it comes back to bike coaches. You know, I think, I think it was Urban Meyer who was, was like that at Florida. And I think he kind of had to change his ways because, you know, they were pretty bad on special teams at times. So it just depends. Uh, but it, it, it's a different philosophy there. And I think with USC, you got multiple guys and those multiple guys have been doing their jobs Besides the punters last year. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was a hearty refusal of my idea, but <laughs> whatever works. I, I see your point now. I will agree to that. It's about time. <laughs> I, I'm supposed to be feuding on this pod. My bad. Uh, as far as punt returns and kick returns, Tyler Rollins was the main guy for punt returns. He had 19 returns for 199 yards in 2018. And then as far as kick returns, you had Valus Jones and Stephen Carr back there. Uh, Valus Jones was... The main guy, most of the times, he had 21 returns for 483 yards and averaged 23 yards. And I didn't say the average for uh, Tyler Rons. He averaged 10.47, 10.5 yards per per return. So do you expect the same guys to go back out there? I feel like with John Baxter, you don't really see a lot of change or rotation in that sense. Yeah, not necessarily. I think you'll see the same guys. You know, Tyler Vaughn's gives you consistency as you know catching the punts. That was a big deal the year before, saving you those extra yards. You know, sometimes he had some dangerous catches where he'll jump up and catch a ball for a bounce or whatever it may be. Uh, but he was really consistent for him. He's got really good hands in that that sense. The fact that he, you know you don't expect him. He's not really a a, a game breaker as far as making a couple guys miss and he's just going to speed away like a Devin Hester type. But 10.5 yards of return is really good. So, you know, I think that he did a really good job with fair catching when he needed to, taking yards when he, when he had a chance. And, you know, he broke a couple for, for really good gains. Valus Jones has the speed. Now, can they give him the crease and, and get him free? He got tackled by kickers a couple times last year. He's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to get a, a tougher a stiff arm or shoulder to, to make sure the, the kickers can't bring him down this year. But I think he has a chance to break one or two for touchdowns as well. Stephen Carr, you know, had that home run threat. Uh, we'll see if that's back this year after the back injury and everything. But I think there's a couple other guys you can put back there. 
You know, Isaac Taylor Stewart could be a guy that could return kicks. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is really good as a punt returner because he has that shiftiness to make the first guy miss, the second guy. He doesn't have necessarily the top-end speed of, you know, those elite uh, kick returners, punt returners, but he can make those couple guys miss early and give you, you know, that the same type of thing that you get with Tyler Vaughn's, maybe if you get uh, an injury with Tyler Vaughn's. Michael Pittman has really good uh, high-end speed. You know, it's kind of surprising from the frame he has, but if you give him a, a little bit of a seam, he could be a guy that could turn kicks as too. So, you know, I think there's options there. And USC with the playmakers they have every, every, every year, every, 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 every year, every, 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 every year, they have playmakers. That's the one thing you'll always have at USC is playmakers. Uh, you may not have a great coach. You may have some quarterback struggles. You always have playmakers, though. And those are the guys that are returning your kicks and punts. So I think they'll be perfectly fine there. They just got to find the guys that will catch the punt when is needed, not let it bounce uh, and give up yards. And, you know, I thought they did a really good job of making that adjustment last year from Jenny Harris to, to Tyler Vaughn's. And, you know, the fact that he was able to, you know, some of those that he may look dangerous still were catching a punt on a bounce and, you know, getting down or whatever it may be to, to save some, you know, 10, 15 yards sometimes. I think that wraps it up for our preview. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. As a whole. So best trilogy since? Oh, I didn't think of it. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I asked you each podcast and you still didn't have an answer. Because I'm not a big trilogy person. I don't have like trilogies off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I see. What are trilogies? Like, say them. Uh, we're, we're at Star Wars. I told you. This is the best yeah, trilogy but, since Star Wars. But I said we're not the best trilogy since Star Wars. Wow. We still have no, questions no though, Mr. Mr. Gunn. All right, let's go. Uh, we have a question from Miles Baker. He says, love the show. Thanks, I have a Miles. question for part three of the tri- trilogy regarding trilogy. coaches. He says, I recall many people on the P calling for T. Martin to be fired, that he doesn't know how to call a game, etc. However, I look at our recruiting this past year and can't help but think that not having him really hurt us. My question, are we better off with T recruiting or without T offensive play calling? Is it worth one year lapse of recruiting to change our offense? My assumption is that recruiting will pick up the offense if the offense picks up. Your thoughts? Fight on. Yes, the uh, the recruiting will pick up if the offense picks up. If you win more games, recruiting picks up. Um, are you better off with T or without T? The question, though, becomes, it sounded like T was willing to go to receivers coach. So if that was the case, then why would you get rid of him anyways when you didn't have to? It seemed like USC got rid of him and paying him money to go away when they didn't have to. Could have went back to receivers coach. We've seen he's a really good receivers coach. So that's the real question is why did you really push him out the door when you didn't have to from what we've heard? So, uh, you know, I think, but I do think the offense is going to pick up. And I think with that, recruiting should pick up. Uh, you know, USC, the, the quote unquote, USC recruits itself. It still does to an extent, but you've got to help, you know, help guide the way. Uh, and that was the problem last year is that some coaches weren't recruiting and you saw it fall off and when you go five and seven you can't be the team that comes in late you when you win a rose bowl or you win the pac-12 championship you can come in late on guys i'm like look what we've done you come in late and you go look what we've done with five and seven it doesn't work the same yeah it definitely doesn't i think it will be hard you can't find one person that can be the recruiting powerhouse that t was i think you find multiple people to try and replace the the weight that he had recruiting for usc but i don't think you can find one I think that's the the thing is that it's got to be a team effort and you can't have guys that are just slacking off and just being coaches or just being recruiters. You need everybody working together. Yeah. But I I think if there was some way to figure out a way that he could still recruit and be a wide receivers coach, USC should have taken that option. Yep. I don't know why they didn't. Maybet Campos from Ontario says, hello, Keely and shotgun. I hope that's Canada. 
I know it's not, but it's pro- I hope it is, Karen. And she says, this is Maybet. I wasn't going to renew my season tickets, but I'm reconsidering after Coach Harrell's press conference. What he said about open competition, his football philosophy, and playing loose and having fun are steps in the right direction. What are the advantages and disadvantages of renewing season tickets this year? Thanks for your words of wisdom during this difficult time in SC football. Stock up for both of you for the awesome job you do. Thanks, oh, Maybet. Thanks, Maybet. Love when the Canadians are, are <laughs> nice. It's all all the time. Uh, the advantages of renewing your season ticket is that you're going to see a much better offense, um, and you'll probably see more wins than previous. So those are the advantages. The disadvantages are there's still a lot of turmoil around the program. Does it get straightened out? You know, is this team going to play up to its potential? You know, and you can still watch it at home if you want. You know, the, if you have Pac-12 Network, that's also a concern. Yeah. Do you have Pac-12 Network? Whether or not you can watch it, or does your local bar have it so you can go in? And like, you but you don't even drink, but suddenly you become a regular at the bar just because you can watch Pac-12 Network there. True. I think it's all about your investment. Do you think you're getting your money's worth out of out of what this team can be, and then devoting your Saturdays to that? If you're driving home sad, or you're driving home like, yeah, football is great. You know, I don't know. That's the big question mark. I always say anytime you go to a collegiate event, it shouldn't be a game that you're going to. It should be an event. You should be going for the tailgate. You should be going to see people that you hang out with every Saturday at USC is home or whatever it may be. You should have a group of friends that you go with or family or whatever it is rather than it just being the game, the product on the field. I I think that if you're getting an event out of it, it's still uh, a great way to spend a Saturday in the fall. I guess so. But if you're paying for it you want to see a good product yeah but that's just my opinion the thing is like if you've got that group you've got somebody to complain to still too that's a great point you you need a usc support system exactly that's exactly uh our final question is from joan levis friend of the pod she says hi shotgun and keely you put together a list of all the four and five star players that have been pushed out of the program transferred out or medically retired over the last two or three years recruiting classes will you please comment on how this has hurt the program which are the best players whose talent was not used or wasted and what effects do you think this has has had on the other players and their performance in an environment that seems to be toxic uh, also, do you think anything will change to stem the tide of this bad cycle? I love your podcast and fight on, Joan. So I think it's definitely hurt the program. I mean, you, when you lose classes worth of guys, I don't have the list in front of me. I don't remember which document I have it in. But that you look at the group of, of players that they've lost and there you see those those are some talented guys coming out of college, I mean, coming out of high school and even some talented guys that have went on and performed. Now, the recruiting rankings, you know, however much you want to put stock in them, they, you know, stars matter. We, we've proven that time and time again. However, you know, some guys get overrated. Some guys get underrated. It all goes into the, you know, you, you basically it balances out. But USC has been one of the top recruiting classes over and over. They should be play, playing like one of the top recruiting classes. Part of the reason they're not is because they've lost a lot of guys that are talented. Now, other programs also lose guys. But I think USC has been hit really hard at certain positions, particularly the safeties, where they've had injuries and had guys leave as well that has really hurt them. Um, and I think that you know, they, they've been stricken at certain areas that they haven't been able to overcome. And I think that part of it is, you know, it's not just there's been so many different reasons for it. You've had off the field issues, you've had academic issues, you've had the medical red shirts with, you know, guys like, uh, Cole Smith and um, and Nathan Smith and the, you know that group, but 
you got to be able to fill in the next recruiting class the same way. You got to be able to continue to recruit, and you got to find guys that are going to be able to play and help your program. And USC's kind of struggled to put together full classes that are, you know, contributing throughout their their uh, time at USC. I mean, if you want to listen to the 2016 class and who's still there, so 2016: Jack Jones, EJ Price, Pi Young, Josh Fatu, Connor Murphy, Vavai, Demel Cook. Kerry Angeline, Oluwole Batiku, Matt Fink, Josh Imatorbebe, Jordan Iasefa, Liam Jimmins, Valus Jones, Frank Martin, Michael Pittman, CJ Pollard, Trayvon Sidney, Nathan Smith, and Tyler Vons. So those are only a couple guys that you're actually getting production out of that class. Yeah, and you're not getting production out of them. Um, you're, that class has basically been a wash, and some of the biggest names in that class are guys that have left. EJ Price was supposed to be, he should be starting on that offense line. He should be starting left or right tackle probably right now. Uh, a guy like, um, yeah, you, you look at Jamel Cook, a guy that's going to be at South Carolina. You got EJ Price is at Kentucky. You got Kenny Bigelow leaving and go to West Virginia. So guys aren't just, you know, leaving the program and, hey, well, their football careers are over. They're going and, and contributing in other places. And that's the biggest concern there. Yeah. So how do you fix that, though? That's the big question. If you win, that usually helps. You, you pick the right guys, you develop your guys. You know, if guys feel like even if they're not getting a ton of playing time, they're still developing, they're more likely to stay around than if you're like, man, this coach and staff doesn't know what they're talking about. I'm better than this guy. And, you know, they're not getting me better anyways. I should be out there, you know, whatever. You know, so I think that when you win, things are better. And when you develop players, players want to be a part of it. Agreed. All righty. That's going to wrap it up. The trilogy is now complete. The finale of our spring 2019 previews. I'm excited to go out there and see some football. It's been a while. It hasn't been. It's kind of been a mix, but I'm glad to see some actual football being played soon. Yeah, and I, I'm going to go with the best trilogy since, since you, didn't, you didn't think we were as good as Star Wars, Back to the Future. I've only seen the first Back to the Future, so I cannot comment on said trilogy. You've never seen anything. It's true. Alrighty. Uh, any final thoughts, Shaka, before we wrap it up? I think that's it. Time to get time to for spring. Let's go. Also, scheduling note, Shotgun is leaving. Uh, he won't be there for the first week of spring. Uh, so I'll be watching from afar, though. He'll be watching from afar. Uh, he has some personal matters to take care of. Can I divulge what it is? No. Okay, fine. I can't. Uh, but he'll be gone. So I, TBD on the podcast will figure that out. Uh, but thanks for listening to our preview podcast. We th- hope you like it. A little different for us, but I'm glad we gave you a little taste of what's to come for spring. Alrighty, Shotgun. That's going to wrap it up. Peace.